Shalom and good morning. Okay, Shalom is a Hebrew word. It means hello, goodbye, and peace. So when we greet you with Shalom, it's customary to respond, reply with Shalom in return. So why don't we try that again, but this time with everyone together a little louder and Jewish style. Shalom. Shalom. Much better. Maybe I should have said Shalom, y'all. Uh, listen, I'm from North Carolina, as you've already heard, and uh, yes, morning uh, loss uh, last night, but and my voice indicates I was yelling, screaming. Uh, it was a really good game. Uh, I hate losing, but it is what it is. Congratulations, uh, George Tech. As long as you don't go to Duke, I love you. Um, so I anyway, um, I've already been introduced briefly. Um, I am the founder and executive director of Light of Messiah Ministries. Our ministry is an outreach to the Jewish people. So we spend our time in ministry helping Jewish people hear the message of Jesus. Uh, that's our passion, our, our vision, our burden as, as a ministry. Uh, we want to help uh, uh, the Jewish people, my people, uh, hear that message in a way that they can understand. I'm Jewish. I was born and raised in a religious Jewish home. I, I came to faith about 44 years ago while a student at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And after coming to faith, I went on to uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where Dean also attended school about the same time as I did. I think we crossed one year. Uh, but uh, but I, I studied there and uh, felt a call into ministry to communicate Jesus to my people and to help others do the same. So one of the things that we do as well is we want to help our brothers and sisters in Messiah, in Christ, learn more about the Jewish people, the Jewish roots of our faith, where we come from as a faith community, connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to let you guys know, I'm not supposed to be here. Today's supposed to be, this is like, I don't really, I would not, I would rather be elsewhere, okay? This month, we were supposed to be in Israel. The whole month, we were scheduled, our flight uh, was scheduled for 4.20 in the afternoon on October 7th. At 2.30 in the morning, Elena, my wife, she was preparing. We were all packing up. I, I'd packed up. She was just putting a few last things together. At 2.30 in the morning, our daughter sent a text and said, Mom, I'm on Instagram and something's happening. It's not good. And Elena said, it's okay, Shana. We've been there for skirmishes before. We've experienced this. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Elena came to bed. Six o'clock in the morning, my phone rings, sitting next to my nightstand. I don't always keep it on, but it was on. And my dad was on the phone. He said, Murray, we're at war. I said, Dad, no, we're not. Don't worry about it. Now, just to let you all know, I remember October 1973. I was 13 years old. I remember... In synagogue on Yom Kippur, I remember getting the news that the war had started in 1973, the 1973 Yom Kippur War. And I remember running out to the car with my 10-year-old brother getting into our 1968 Buick Skylark. Turning on the radio and listening to the events 50 years later to the day, my dad calls me. He says, we're at war. I was going to go back to sleep, but I thought I better call Ronnie, our tour guide. And, and I did. I called him. He answered. I said, what's up? He said, I don't know yet, but it doesn't look good. We're three weeks later now. 
I wasn't planning on being here, didn't really want to be here, but I'm here. God has me here. And this morning, we're going to look at the conflict in the Middle East. We're going to look at it from a biblical perspective. And uh, here we go. We're going to be looking at this conflict. We're going, to, we're going to put a grid over the conflict, a biblical grid over the conflict. And as I begin the message, I want you all to know that the conflict that we are witnessing today in the Middle East is not just a modern conflict. It is not just a modern conflict, but it's an ancient conflict rooted in biblical history. It's rooted in biblical history. And because it's rooted in biblical history, we can open our Bibles and we can see how this conflict began a long time ago, how it has continued throughout history and how it is going to culminate Okay, so we're going to look at the conflict, how, how it started, the, the, the creation of the conflict, continuation of the conflict, and the culmination of the conflict. If you guys have your Bibles with you, please open them with me to Genesis chapter 16. I had such a good time in Sunday school this morning. I was able to share my testimony, how I came to faith, having been raised in a religious Jewish home, and I probably answered about 50 questions about this conflict. It was such a sweet, rich time. Uh, And I think they learned a lot in Sunday school this morning. Genesis chapter 16. Y'all familiar with the story? Abraham and Sarah wanted to have a son. They were unable to conceive. And so Abraham and Sarah kind of came to an agreement. Sarah told Abraham to go and be with Hagar, their maidservant. And hopefully, in a kind of a surrogate mother situation, uh, Abraham would have an heir, a son. And that happened. Hagar became pregnant. Genesis chapter 16, we read a description of the firstborn son of Abraham, Ishmael. Ishmael, Genesis 16, beginning in verse 11, we read. The angel of the Lord also said to her, this was Hagar, you are now pregnant, you will give birth to a son, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. So the firstborn son of Abraham, Ishmael, uh, characterized, defined here in Genesis chapter 16 by conflict. Description. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. The the birth of the son, the first son of Abraham, Ishmael. Now, hang on to that. Turn with me now to Genesis chapter 21. Because we're going to read about the birth of his brother, We're going to read about the birth of his brother, Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 8. Y'all hopefully know the story. Abraham and Sarah, um, they they got a visit. And they were told that they were going to have have a son themselves. 
Now, this was very unexpected and even miraculous. They were in their 90s. Just to let you all know, this was about 13 years after the birth of Ishmael. And and so um, they were visited. They got a promise from God that they were going to have a son, and they did, and they named him Isaac. In Hebrew, Yitzchak, which means laughter. It means laughter because of the joy that they had. They had a son, and, and, and they were so overjoyed. And at the appropriate time in Isaac's life, he was weaned from his mom. He was weaned. There was a weaning ceremony. And in Genesis chapter 21, we read what happened at the weaning ceremony. Very, very important narrative, a little bit of story, but it helps us to understand the beginning of the conflict, how it was created. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 21, we read, the child, that would be Isaac, Yitzchak, grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was doing what? What, what, what do your Bible say? Just throw out some words. Mocking, scoffing, laughing. Some versions say ridiculing. Some even say playing. Now, just to let you know, This was not nice play, fun play. It was mocking, ridiculing, scoffing. Something was going on. Ishmael and Isaac. Sarah saw that was going on. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Verse verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham because it concerned his son. Who was he concerned about? Ishmael. I mean, they'd hung out for 13 years. They'd hiked together. They, my, my son and I, we, we hiked, but by the time he was 13 years old, we probably hiked most of the uh, Appalachia, uh, Georgia section of the Appalachian Trail. We'd gone up to Teton uh, National Park. We, we hiked the Teton Crest Trail when he got a little bit older. So we, you know, Abraham, Ishmael, he, and here's Sarah going, get this kid and this, his wife and, and Hagar out of here. So the matter distressed Abraham, it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to what, or maidservant, but listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will also make the son of the slave woman, the maidservant, into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So here's what we've got, conflict. We've got conflict. We've got Abraham looking at Hagar and Sarah going at it. Sarah's upset. Get rid of her. Get rid of him. He's distressed. Conflict. But God gets into that conflict. He he enters into it. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, it's all good. Do not worry about your sons. I love them both. I am going to make both of them great nations. The descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac are going to be great nations, but it is through Isaac that I'm going to bring my promises to the world. And that's what we saw. Biblical history, 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob wrestled with God, renamed Israel, had 12 sons, Benjamin, Judah, Jewish people. We get to Jesus. The greatest gift, the greatest promise that came to us through Abraham. It's important to know that the two groups of people, primarily, generally speaking, in conflict today in the Middle East, trace their ancestry or claim ancestry back to Abraham through these two sons. The Islamic Muslim community, Ishmael. The Jewish Israelite community, Isaac. Two sons of Abraham, the conflict created. But the conflict doesn't stop there. It began there 4,500 years ago. We're going to look at how the conflict has continued. Yeah, this is uh, just a slide. And I want, you, I want you all to know this is, not, this is not a conflict between Israel and the Palestinian community that we are witnessing today. It's between Israel and Hamas. It's between Israel and evil. We work with Palestinian people in Israel. We work with Muslim people in Israel. We work with with Arab people in Israel. We had a Palestinian guide, a Palestinian Christian in Bethlehem. We we th- this is not Israel and Palestinian people. This is Israel and evil, Israel and Hamas, Hezbollah, and any evil nation that would have as a part of its agenda, we'll talk about this later, the destruction of Israel or the Jewish people. However, the continuation of the conflict, turn, turn with me to Nehemiah, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. So this is the continuation of the conflict Who was Nehemiah? He was a prophet of God called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem had been invaded by a group of people. It had been torn down, walls burned, and and God called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Does anybody know who destroyed the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day? Babylonians. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, where is Babylon located geographically today? Just Iraq. And so so we had that area invade, destroy, and God said, go rebuild to Nehemiah. So we, we need to look at what happened, beginning in verse 11. So Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. He stayed there for a few nights. He was there with some people, but not everybody with him. Verse 13, they began to inspect the the gates. So they were going around the city walls, looking at the gates of the city. For those of you who've been to Israel, you know kind of what Nehemiah was looking at as he inspected the walls of Jerusalem. He saw what had happened. Verse 17, we read, He said to the Israelite community, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. They replied, let's do it. Nehemiah, we're behind you. Nehemiah, we want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But there was opposition. And we need to see where the opposition came from, beginning in verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, 
Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they did what? What do your Bible say? Mocked. What else? Ridiculed. Any other words? Despised. Jeered. They mocked. They despised. They jeered. What is this you are doing? This is the text. They ask, are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah answered them, I tell you the truth. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, surrounding nations, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. Surrounding nations, Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, Geshem the Arab, it actually says Arab in the Hebrew. You all have no claim no share, no historic right to it. It's right here in Nehemiah chapter 2. What are they fighting over today? Some people say land. Some, but it's not just land. I mean, you look at the little geopolitical entity that we know as Israel today. Yes, they're trying to protect their country, but it's not just land. It's a city a teeny tiny city in a teeny tiny land, Jerusalem, the epicenter of the past, the present. We're going to see the future in just a minute. They're fighting over, this has gone on for thousands of years here in Nehemiah. We clearly see in the scriptures, God says, surrounding nations, you have no share, no claim, no historic right to it. Continuation of the conflict. I, I could actually, if I were teaching all the Jewish festivals, there are several of them who act, that actually look at the continuation of the contact, con- conflict. We have, uh, we, we, we have Passover. Who wanted to get rid of the Jews? Passover. The Egyptians. Pharaoh. Egyptians. Uh, I could, let's talk about Purim. Are you guys familiar with Purim? Do you guys know what the holiday is? It's a Jewish festival. It's found in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, there was a good guy, there was a bad guy. Who was the good guy? Mordecai. Mordecai was a good guy. Who was the bad guy? Haman. What did Haman want to do? Get rid of the Jews. Kill them all. Get rid of all the Jews. We've got to get rid of these people. We have to. And I don't have time to talk about anti-Semitism and what's happening today in the Jewish community. But we're feeling it. Believe me, I'm Jewish. And so, and so we see Haman, but God protected the Jewish people from attempted annihilation. We have that, that, that festival of Purim that Jesus celebrated himself. Hanukkah, y'all familiar with Hanukkah? You would call it the festival of lights. Okay, but that's not what it's called in the scriptures. In John 10, 22, we know Jesus celebrated it. It's called the feast of dedication. It's when he said, I and the father are one. But the Feast of Dedication, the Hebrew word for dedication is Hanukkah. The celebration of God protecting the Jewish people from attempted annihilation by another really bad guy. His name was Antiochus, 165 years prior to the birth of Jesus. He wanted to get rid of the Jews. But God protected the nation of Israel. God protected the Jewish people. Continuation of the conflict. And guys, we see it today. We see it today, literally today. It's happening right now. 
I wish it wasn't. I wish I was there on tour. I wish I was there on a bus with Ronnie. I wish I was there. But this conflict has continued and it will continue until. It will continue until. Creation of the conflict, Genesis chapter 16 and 21. Continuation of the conflict, Nehemiah chapter 2. And now let's look at the culmination. Like, how's this all going to end? Turn with me now to Zephaniah chapter 2. Just go to the back of your Bible, or you can go to your table of contents and find Zephaniah chapter 2. So it's really important for me to say at this point, who was Zephaniah? Zephaniah was a prophet of God called by God to pronounce judgment both on Israel and on the surrounding nations. You you got that? Israel's God's land. It's not always godly. And my people one day will be judged. My Jewish people, Zephaniah chapter 1 is about that. But it's important to remember that God's judgment on the nation of Israel is always for the purpose of restoration. Restoring the nation of Israel back into relationship with himself. I'll tell you right now, most of my people reject Jesus as the Messiah. I'm Jewish. I've accepted him as the Messiah, as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He died, suffered, rose again on the third day for me. Most Jewish people do not believe that. Right now in Israel, they're not trusting in the God of Israel. They're trusting in the Iron Dome. They're trusting in their tanks. They're trusting in their armies. We pray that they would trust the God of Israel and come to know the Messiah. But there's going to be future judgment. What's happening now, guys, is nothing compared to what's going to happen in the future, according to the scriptures. And so Zephaniah Chapter 2 is judgment on the nations, beginning in verse 4. Culmination of the conflict. What's the first word you read in Zephaniah 2, 4, if if it doesn't say 4? Gaza, you guys heard of that place? Okay, so yeah, so if you you look at the map here, uh, where you see Ashkelon, Ashdod, we're going to be reading about that. We're We're hearing about it in the news today. So where it says, it says Philistine. Right under the P, Gaza. Okay, so that is where we're talking about. This is a biblical map. And then you see the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Mosquitoites. Okay, Assyrian Empire. You, you see all of the nations surrounding Jerusalem. Gaza will be abandoned, Ashkelon left in ruins, at midday Ashdod will be emptied, Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Karathite people, which would be the Philistines, which is there's a connection to Palestinian, the word itself, etymology. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of Philistines. I will destroy you and none will be left. This is future, this hasn't happened yet. I'll tell you how we know that in just a second. Verse 8, don't forget Genesis 21 and Nehemiah 2. Verse 8, 
I have heard the insults of Moab, see where the Moabites are in that map, the taunts of the Ammonites, see where they are on the map, who insulted my people and made threats against their what? Land? There are other words. Borders? There's one other word. Territories. Okay, we've got three. Okay, those are the three. Land, border, territory. However you want to define it. They threatened the land, insulted. Therefore, they will become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 10, this is what they will get in return for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the earth. That's how we know this hasn't happened yet. Because all the gods of the earth have yet to be destroyed. Guys get that? So this has not happened. But at some point the nations surrounding Israel and Jerusalem are going to come under judgment because of what they've done and what they're doing. And it's all going to come down and happen on a day. And God shows us the day. He gives us a picture. He gives us a picture of the day when all this happens. Turn with me to Zechariah 12, beginning in verse 1. Zechariah 12, beginning in verse 1. We read, this is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. All right, so just, just with that, just that little bit. Who is going to speak to us? This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we know the Lord is going to be speaking to us, and I am going to speak to you concerning who? Israel. Uh, This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Okay, so it's very clear, but then God defines himself. Okay, he defines himself. The, the Lord, and I'm quoting, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him, declares. This is declaratory. This is like, I am going to talk to you about Israel. I am going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to clearly give you the information, and I want you to know who I am. So this is massive. It's like us saying to our kids, we'll just use Joey as an example. Just Joe, okay? If there's a Joe out there, I'm sorry. But it's like saying, hey, Joe, say he's 10 years old. Hey, Joe, take out the garbage, make your bed. Doesn't happen. Joe, please take out the garbage, make your bed. Doesn't happen. Joe, this is your father speaking. Your father who... Puts clothes on your back, food on the table, and a roof over your head. Now I'm speaking to you. That's what God's doing here. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him, declares this is what's going to happen. And then he says, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be sieged as well as Jerusalem on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. 
all who try to move it will injure themselves. They want to move Jerusalem. They want to change Jerusalem. Anybody who does it, they're going to injure themselves. I will strike every horse with panic. I will keep a watchful eye over Judah, Israel, Jewish people. I will blind, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Then the people of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. One day, all the nations of the earth, just listen, I'm only reading the scriptures. One day, all the nations of the earth are going to come against Jerusalem and there's nothing we can do about it. There, there's, there, there are not enough tanks, presidents, prime ministers, congressmen, senators, uh, uh, parliamentary leaders, uh, there's nothing. This is what God says in his word. This is what's going to happen. And you look at this map. Okay, you see a lot of green. Can you guys see the red dot? Huh? It's Israel. You can't see Jerusalem, but there's a red dot there. It's Israel. And you see the surrounding nations. One day, all the nations of the earth are going to gather. And there's more to that than that. And all the, all the nations are going to come against Jerusalem. We don't know what's going to be going on geopolitically. What we're witnessing right now is a contraction. It's way beyond Braxton Hicks. This is big. Ladies, you didn't even laugh at that. Okay, I understand this, this message. But there's hope, okay? We're going to talk about the hope here in a minute. Okay, but we're, we're at contractions. This is a big one. But, but, but you know even big contractions, they... There's rest, and then another contraction. And Jesus said this. He said, it's going to be like a mother having baby. And we're seeing a a, a major contraction. This is the biggest of contractions that we're talking about in Zechariah. This is the birth of the baby. Because on the day, and remember, the great physician is in the delivery room. Okay, please. The great physician is in the delivery room. We can't be, we can't be scared because he's there. And so one day all the nations are going to come against Jerusalem. But on that day, my people are going to see Jesus. My people are going to see Jesus. There will be a national turning of Israel. They will see him. I'm not, don't misunderstand me. Jewish people don't get a second chance at, at heaven, okay? Nobody. Pointed for a man to die once and then the judgment. We all need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. And he's the only hope. He is the great physician. He is the great healer. But on this day, we're reading about in Zechariah, Jesus is coming back to restore a nation. And how do I know that? Look at Zechariah 12.10. On that day, Zechariah 12.10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for the only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son on the day when all the nations come against Jerusalem. Jesus is coming back. He is going to descend to the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14, The Mount of Olives is going to split in two. He is going to walk down a valley, across, down a hill, across a valley, up a hill, into that stone, up eastern gate. 
And he is going to take his place on his throne and he will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. There will not be peace in the Middle East until Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of the Lord. This is an old slide, guys, but I like it. So what? So what? (sighs) Applications. Number one, God is in control of all things. I do not personally believe that he controls all things, but he's in control of all things. I believe with all of my heart, of course, God now is weeping in heaven. I was talking to the Sunday school class and I said, what we are witnessing today on the earth is, is, is nowhere close to what is going on in the heavenlies. But God's in control. And we need to remember that. We need to stop looking at so much social media and spend more time in the word of God. Because social media is not helping. Social media is scaring a lot of people. So be careful. God wants to use this time to build our faith. He's in control. But you know what, guys? A lot of times we say we believe, but we don't behave like we believe. And so it's time to take the fear, the anxiety, the concern, the speculation, and and go to Jesus with it. And remember that he is the author of the beginning of the end, and he knows And what's happening in the Middle East right now, in Israel right now, should not come as a surprise to us. Those of us who know the Lord, we are told that Jesus is going to return like a thief in the night for those who are in darkness. But you, my brothers, are not in darkness. You're children of the light. So don't be surprised that this is happening. And the last thing I want to say is peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. My wife, Elaine, and I have been married for 39 years, going to be 40 next year. And in 39 years, we've never had a conflict. We've always been each other's friend. We've never yelled, never screamed. We always love each other, hold each And I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm lying in church. God, forgive me. What's kept us together is not an absence of conflict. It's the presence of the Lord. And so I commend to you, Jesus. I commend to you, the great physician. I commend to you, the king of kings. I commend to you, the one who would like to say to you this morning, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy and burdened, and I will give you rest. So if you don't know the Lord this morning, please, I'm, I'm the Jewish guy up here telling you about Jesus. 
He saved my life. He saved my soul. I don't know what I would do without him today. And so if you're running, trying to hide, think you can do it on your own, I'm just telling you straight up, you can't. Can't run, can't hide, can't do it on your own. And so I commend to you the Prince of Peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of the Lord. If you've never done it, say yes to him today. For those of you who are weary and burdened and believers, be encouraged in Messiah, in Jesus. Dean, would you come up, please, and lead us to the altar. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are and have been and will be in control. And none of these things are happening as a surprise to you. And when we are afraid, help us like the psalmist, like David, to trust in you. And we thank you for your provision for us, Jews and Gentiles alike, through the ultimate seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks today, our Heavenly Father, for your Son. We thank you for what he's done for us. We thank you for what he will do. And we thank you that in him we are going to be a part, not only of his family, but of his kingdom. We pray for those who are here today who have not yet put their trust in him. We ask that you would help them, that you would give them the courage, the faith to let everything else go that they've been trusting in or they've been trying and to give it all to Jesus. That he is enough, that they would recognize that, that they would believe in him as being enough. Father, for those who already know, know you, we pray that you'd help us to follow you closely as Murray encouraged us. Help us to put other things down and to pick up your word and to see what you're doing and to see how you want us to live in preparation for what you're doing. That you would be glorified through us, that you would use us to bear fruit for you. And so we give you thanks for this, Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.